The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Page 15. So my name's Reed. I'm on staff with Campus Outreach. I'm married to Nikki. She's the, uh, the beautiful pregnant lady here. And uh, if you guys don't know us, uh, we're leaving tomorrow, so I'm sorry, but we're going to go home and have our first baby, so we're really excited. So we're mixed. We're really sad to be leaving you guys because we love you guys, and we've been down here, I think, 11 years straight or something like that, but we're also really excited about what's ahead for us. But there are a ton of other people down here that love you guys, want to help you guys grow, so you guys are in good hands. Um... So page 15 in your notebooks, and uh, before we dive in real quick, uh, we're going to look at a passage in Luke 18, and uh, I was really helped by some of what this guy said. So if you're curious, you're like, man, that was really cool. This is a great book on evangelism. He really helped me see some things in Luke 18 that I didn't see. So if you're like, where did we get that? I didn't get it all for myself. This guy's really smart, good dude. Great book on evangelism. If you want to look at it, let me know. I just want to let you know that. Um, so let me just real quick recap Lucas's talk last week. So Lucas said a lot of really good things about who God was last week, but the main points he was trying to describe were a couple. He said, God is a good giver, right? God is a good giver. And then he showed that clip, Lord of the Rings, Bilbo, right? You guys remember that? That's my best, Bilbo. So he, uh, he showed that clip and the idea that God's a good, good giver and then that gift manifests itself in Jesus. Um, and I wonder how many of you in this room see God as a good giver and see Jesus as our treasure. And so what I want to try to do tonight is my hope is that leaving tonight, you will see more in a bigger picture of who God is because you rightly understand who you are. So Lucas, if you guys remember this last week, I think I have a picture here. I'm so far back, I can't see it. So Lucas gave this uh, analogy of Lake Mille Lacs and being a kid and he was so excited because he's like, mom, dad, is that the ocean? And they're like, no, that's Lake Mille Lacs. But if you were a little kid and you saw Lake Mille Lacs, you could think this is the ocean. But Lake Mille Lacs doesn't even come close to comparing to the ocean. Lake Mille Lacs is 200 square miles big, which is a big lake in Minnesota. The reality is the ocean is 139 million square miles. Like Lake Mille Lacs is a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean. And I just wonder how many of you guys in this room have ever truly seen God for who he is. Have you seen him as the ocean rather than the drop in the bucket that is Lake Mille Lacs? I know many of you in this room come from some sort of Christian background, coming from Northwestern and Bethlehem. I wonder if you've ever really tasted God, ever truly seen him as incredible. Remember, Lucas showed that incredible click and he kept running with that idea, but God is truly incredible, and I think as we uh, continue tonight, I hope you see that. So last week, Lucas talked about God being a good giver. I also think of myself as a pretty good gift giver and uh, have a quick story to tell. So um, basically, about five years ago, Nikki had a birthday. So her birthday is in the summer, July 15th. Um, I thought it would be an unbelievable idea to get a soft tub. If you're wondering what a soft tub is, it's on the picture. It's a poor man's hot tub, okay? But the soft tub like normally sells for about two grand, okay? Surprisingly, they're kind of expensive, but me being super thrifty, 
check out Craigslist. Found it for 200 bucks. No brainer, right? Best birthday gift ever, okay? So I wake Nikki up on her birthday, and I'm like, babe, I got the best gift. Like, I'm so excited right now. Like, you're gonna love this thing. She's like, what? Like, what is it? Like, why are you waking me up? And I, I like actually woke her up early. If you know anything about Nikki, she's not really a morning person, but I had received the email back, like, with the time ready to pick it up. So I, like, had to wake her. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, we're going to get a soft tub. She's going to be so excited. I wake her up, and she's like, a soft tub? Like, like, okay, like, sounds cool, but, like, I don't know if I really want a soft tub. And I'm like, dude, let's go, let's go. So it gets worse. Uh, <laughs> then we had to go borrow a trailer from a friend. That took about an hour. And then... We had to drive to go get this thing, and it was probably a half hour, 40 minutes away. And on the way, I was like, hey, what if we get a birthday lunch, right? Like, maybe you're not as excited about the South, but let me at least give you a birthday lunch. Like, that's the least I can do. How about we go to Chick-fil-A? Okay, birthday lunch, Chick-fil-A, but to make it worse, we had camped out like a couple months before, so we had free like coupons to Chick-fil-A. So it wasn't even like I'm treating her to like this great meal at Chick-fil-A. It was a free meal at Chick-fil-A because we had camped out and had these coupons. So that's strike two, right? Soft tub, now lunch. We get out of lunch, the trailer doesn't, like the lights don't work, the car doesn't start, a fuse is blown. By the time we get to the soft tub, Nikki's like, hey, where are the tie-downs? And I'm like, good question. Uh, I didn't bring them. And she's just like, at this point, really frustrated. So we're driving on the highway, 694, going about 35 to 40, right? So people are driving by us, going about 70 to 80, flipping us off, like who knows what they were saying to us. And I was still so excited, but Nikki wasn't, right? And all of you in this room were like, what were you thinking? Like that was just a dumb idea. I know, I know. But think about this. Uh, what was wrong with my gift? What was wrong with what I was giving Nikki? You guys can interact. It was a gift for me, right? Like, I wanted the soft tub, not Nikki. And what I hope to do tonight is help you guys understand that for some of you in this room, I wonder if you've ever really seen your need for the gospel. If you don't need or want something, it's not going to be a gift, right? Like, it's clearly seen in my story because this was something I wanted, not something Nikki wanted, right? And so what I want to do tonight is we cannot see the greatness of God until we understand the grossness of man. And to say it even one more time, we cannot see the greatness of God until we understand our own grossness. It's not just the grossness of man, but it's personally our own grossness. Okay? There's a, there's a picture I like to show. And uh, if you know me at all, I love this diagram. It's called the Pac-Man diagram. So if you see, it kind of goes like this. I call it the Pac-Man because if you wrapped it around, it would look like a Pac-Man. If you don't understand that, I'll explain it to you later. But what Lucas did last week is he unpacked who God is, that top line. Okay? What I want to talk about tonight is who we are. And as we understand both those things, the cross increases. It becomes beautiful. And that's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for you guys, this cross in the middle to continue to grow in your lives. And yet, we can't fully understand that until we understand our need until we rightly understand who we are. So let me pray real quick again, and then we'll dive into Luke 18. God, I pray now that you'd use this time, that as we look to your word, you'd teach us and we'd see more of you. God, I pray that 
in the same way the soft help wasn't a gift for Nikki, that we would understand our need and see you as the greatest gift ever. That everything Lucas even said last week would become sweeter because we rightly know ourselves. So God, would that happen? Would you do that work? Even tonight we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you guys want, you can turn to Luke 18. We're going to stay there kind of throughout the whole time tonight. So Luke 18, and we're going to start in verse 18 and look at 18 through 30. So it's a story of the rich ruler, okay? Luke 18, 18 through 30. Turn there, like I said, we're going to start here. Basically, I just want to walk through this text, and then I have a few implications. What does this mean for us, okay? Does someone want to read really loud Luke 18, 18 through 30? Might need to use your phone because it's dark. Yeah, go ahead, Peter. You want to do it? teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Thank you for reading. That was very dramatic. I like that. Uh, so we're just going to walk through this real quick, kind of verse by verse, and then a few things off of this text. But first, I want you guys to see what an unbelievable beginning to this passage. Like it starts in verse 18. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like what an unbelievable question. Right? Like how can I be saved? That's an unbelievable question to ask. Like I wonder how many of you in this room are wrestling with that question. Like what does it mean to be saved? How am I saved? And some of you in this room might have an answer to that question, and a pretty good answer to that question. And yet, if you were to look at your life, I just wonder, would it match up with the answer that you say? Would it match up with the answer you've grown up hearing your entire life? Like, what an unbelievable question. Like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And not only is it a good question, but think about who he's asking the question to. So, if I were to ask you guys, like, Hey, like, Michaela, help me with my taxes. Probably not a smart move. Uh, not because Michaela's not smart, but Michaela, like, isn't an expert in taxes. And if I was like, Fenske, dude, help me. I have this electrical question. Dude doesn't know anything about electrical stuff, right? Maybe he does. I don't know. I just made that up. But think about where he's going with this question. He's asking someone, how can I be saved? And he's going to Jesus. 
God in the flesh. Like, he's going to the perfect person to answer his question. Like, what an unbelievable start to this passage. This is like perfect start to the passage. Like, great question, and you're asking the right person, right? So that's where it starts in verse 18. Then, let's look at verse 19. So, Jesus says this, verse 19. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus' response is really interesting here. Because, remember, Lucas said this last week, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. So when he says this, like, no one is good but God alone, like, you got to think in your head, like, does Jesus have an identity crisis right now? Like, does Jesus not know that he's God in the flesh? Does he not know that he's man? And the answer to that question is no. Like, Jesus knows who he is. Jesus is trying to make a point. And that point is for the rich ruler. And that point is for us. Think about this. We played basketball the other day. And uh, if I was on the basketball court and I said, Clay is the only good basketball player on this court. What would that mean for everyone else on the court? Yeah, you're bad, right? Like, think about what Jesus is saying here. It's not for Jesus' sake. He's saying this for the rich ruler. He's trying to get the rich ruler to understand who he is. No one is good but God alone. Meaning, you are not good. And we know from other places in the Bible this is true. Like, we're not good and it's not even close. And it's not that we're just neutral or we're like, okay. But the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're completely terrible. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves. It's unbelievable to think about. And this is Jesus' response to him. So what we see from the start is it's not Jesus who has an identity crisis, but it's the rich ruler. The rich ruler does not understand who he is before God. Okay, so that's verse 19. Let's keep going. Then we get to verses 20 and 21. It says this, uh, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth. Okay. What the rich young ruler is essentially saying here is no one is good but God and me. Right? All of these things I have kept from my youth. Which... A little bit of understanding just culturally. So in the Jewish culture, and even today, they have something called a bar mitzvah, right? You guys have heard of a bar mitzvah, kind of? Okay. So when you're 12 or 13, depending on if you're male or female, you have something called a bar mitzvah. And what happens in the bar mitzvah, the idea is you're coming into manhood or womanhood, meaning you're now responsible for your actions. So when the rich ruler says here, all these I've kept from my youth, essentially what he's saying is, I've even done these things when I didn't have to do it. I've done all these things even when it wasn't expected of me. Like, I've kept all these things even before it mattered. Like, I deserve extra credit. Like, look at how good I am. This is the person in your class that ruins the curve. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is that person in your class. Some of you might, that's me, that's me. Okay, just... This is that person, like, this is the person who wants extra credit, who thinks, like, you know, that one teacher, and they get the 110% everyone else fails and totally bombs the curve. This is what this guy is saying, like, all these things I have kept from my youth, which I'm so glad at this point I'm not the one in this conversation, right? If I was in this conversation with this dude, I'd be like, yo, man, 
You read the Sermon on the Mount? You ever looked at a girl lustfully? You ever had hatred in your heart? Have you ever lied? Liar! Right? It would be like, dude, I would walk through every single thing like, there's no way that you've measured up. And yet that's not what Jesus does here. Let's look at what Jesus does. Jesus gets right to the heart. And he says this in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. See, the thing is, Jesus understands what's going on in the rich young ruler's heart. And I wonder, what would Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to your heart? What would be the thing, if Jesus was having this conversation to you, what would he say to you? What is the thing in your life you're trusting in more than him? Because Jesus gets right to the heart of the rich ruler. He doesn't even try to like stick him with the law and say, you've lied and whatever else. He says, hey man, there's only one thing you have to do. And you can imagine the rich young ruler being like, tell me what it is and I'll do it. Like if it's just one thing, like help me understand and I'll do it. It's only one thing, like, okay, like I can do it. And yet Jesus pierces right to the heart and gets right at what he's trusting in. And the reality is he's trusting in himself. It reveals what he's trusting in. So let's keep going. Verses 24 through 27 say this, kind of takes a turn. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus seeing, uh, Jesus seeing he had become sad said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, so a couple quick things we have to do with this part because people go a number of directions with this part of the text. Um, So people have all sorts of crazy interpretations here for the idea of the needle and the camel, right? The needle is symbolic of this really small door, and if the camel gets down on all four, it could like maybe make its way in. So that's not what the text is saying, okay? What Jesus is trying to communicate here is camels were really large creatures, okay? Really, really large creatures, and needles were really, really small. So the idea of a camel fitting through the eye of a needle is impossible. It would be ludicrous to try to do this, right? Like, even thread is hard to get through a needle if any of you guys sew and stitch or whatever. So the idea of a camel fitting through, like, this isn't like, oh, it could maybe happen, and this is symbolic of a camel getting through the small door. No, and he says it in his next passage by saying, this is impossible with man. It's only possible with God. So when Jesus says this here, he's being literal. It's not possible for a camel to go through the eye of the the needle. Neither is it possible for you to be saved in and of yourself. It's only possible by God. Only possible through God. Any other interpretation doesn't even make sense because of what he says next. All right, I lost my notes. Sorry. Um, But then they say, who can be saved? And Jesus' response is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is saying, what it means to be saved is it takes a miracle. This is exactly what Taylor shared. Like, What it means to be saved is a miracle has to happen and you cannot do it on your own. It's not possible. 
And then uh, this is how the passage ends. kind of funny. So verse 28, we'll read 28 through 30. Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is classic Peter, right? It's like, well, look at what we've done. Look at what we've given up. We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus is like, oh, Peter, you don't get it either, right? Peter, you don't get it. Like, you haven't given up anything. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit more into that here in a second. But what does this text mean for us? Like, how in the world are we supposed to understand this text? And let's get, like, a little bit deeper into this whole story. And um, three quick things that we learned from this text. All of us are fallen and falling. Okay? All of us are fallen and falling. C.S. Lewis, we're, we're reading him this summer as a staff team. He says a lot of unbelievable things, but he says this, We are fallen creatures and very hard to live with. We are fallen creatures and very hard to live with. I wonder how many of you this summer have already experienced that. Whether it's been dishes in your room, whether it's been your messiness, your snoring, fill in the blank, right? You guys have already seen this. Like, we're messy people and hard to live with. And maybe some of you are still in your best behavior. Everything's going well. It's not going to the whole summer. Like, let me just pop that bubble right now. This is who we are. And some of you guys have already seen this. Some of you guys have already felt things towards your roommate. And the problem is us. The problem is us. Um, so I have never been skydiving, but I would really want to go skydiving, okay? Uh, actually, Clay and I, we did like that giant bungee thing. It was awesome. Highly recommend you guys do that. But really want to go skydiving. You guys like heights in here? No. Who likes heights? Some of you. Some of you don't. Okay. Well, stay with me. Uh, the thing about skydiving is when you step out of the airplane, there's 12 seconds of free falling where you're increasing in speed until you reach terminal velocity. What happens when you reach terminal velocity is all of a sudden you reach your max speed. So what happens when you reach your max speed, it's about 120 miles an hour if you're just doing like the typical fall, whatever that is. I don't know if the skydiving term, someone can correct me later. If you're just doing this, like kind of flailed out, it's about 120 miles an hour. Then at, after that point, it can give you the illusion that you're flying. Because you're no longer increasing in speed, no longer are you dropping and feeling that drop, but it feels like you're actually just soaring. But the reality is you're falling towards your death. And if you didn't have a parachute on your back, you die going 120 miles into the ground, right? But there's the illusion that at 120 miles, when you hit that, it feels like you're floating. It feels like you're just staying there. It feels like you're flying, and yet you're not. I have a clip that further illustrates this. It's from Toy Story. It's an oldie but a goodie. Just check this out real quick. How many of you guys have seen Toy Story? Yes. Okay, good. It's an oldie but a giddy. Yeah, I didn't know until I watched it. 
All right, here we go. Some of you in this room who think you're falling or think you're flying, and the reality is you're falling with style. And you're not even falling with style. Like some of you in this room are falling to the ground and you think you're flying. Meaning you think you're okay without God. You think you're totally fine without God. And you have no idea that you're flying at 120 miles to your death. You're trusting in something other than God. And yet you think I'm flying. And you think you're flying with style. And that's not the case at all. And there's some of you in this room that think you're falling to the ground and know you're falling, and yet you have a parachute. And yet the parachute that you think is going to save you can't. Because the parachute that you have strapped to your back is yourself. And it will never save you. Like that parachute, when you go to pull it, isn't going to work. Some of you in this room, the parachute strapped to your back is, I can do it. I can work hard enough in and of myself. I can do it. I'm totally fine. And yet, there are some of you in this room who realize you're falling and you need help. Falling and need help. And Jesus is the only way. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But if you guys look in Luke 18, so stay in Luke 18. If you just jump up a little bit before where we were. So Luke 18, 9 through 14, it's a story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So you have the Pharisee who's this religious leader who's saying, I, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. Then you have this tax collector who wouldn't raise his head and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The only requirement that we have to understand about ourselves is we can't do it. There is no other way. 
There's no other entryway into the gospel except understanding that we can't do it and that we're not enough. And if you guys understand, I think uh, sometimes people don't fully understand tax collectors, but tax collectors in this culture were like the worst people in the world. I tell guys when we're studying the Bible, we look at a tax collector, it's like going to Northwestern, but working for Bethel. And what you're doing is you're stealing money from your own people at Northwestern. That's what the tax collectors did. They worked for Rome, but they would steal and extract money from their own Jewish people. So they were like the crummiest dudes in the world. Not only were they stealing for their own people, but they were giving the money to their enemy. Like there wasn't like a lower dude that was viewed, and this is what a tax collector was. And there are some of you in this room uh, that are like the tax collector. And what I mean is you guys are plagued by shame and guilt. Like, if you were a character in the Bible, you would view yourself, and you might not openly admit this, but your character in the Bible would be something like a tax collector. You'd be plagued with shame and guilt, and what you've done most of your life is you've spent time trying to hide your sin. You've spent time trying to clean up who you are. You've spent time trying to cover it up as if no one really knows who you are. Man, isn't that tiring? Isn't that tiring to live in fear, to live with shame and guilt? And yet, the reality is, God already knows. God knows who you are 100%. Like, you cannot hide from God. Like, hiding from God is the equivalent of playing hide-and-go-seek with William's ex-two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and he's hiding behind the screen like this. Like, you can see his feet. Like, God knows who you really are. And yet, so often, what we try to do is we try to cover it up. We try to hide it. And that's, we can't do it. Like, God already knows who you are. So, second implication from this text is Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. Remember, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is only possible with God. And then the very next passage, look what Jesus says. 31 through 34. Look at this passage real quick. In 31 through 34... Jesus foretells of his death and resurrection. This is unbelievable. Like, Jesus just said, I'm going to be the one that does it. You can't do it. I can do it. And I'm the one that's going to do it. Jesus is telling them what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross for you. It's an unbelievable passage. Like, just after he gets done saying what's impossible with man is only possible with God. And guess what? I'm going to do it for you. That's unbelievable. And that's what Jesus says. That's who he is. I'm going to pay for your sins. I'm going to die on the cross. And there is no other way. He is the only way. That's the only possible scenario to be saved. is through Jesus. So finally, the third thing for us is what do we do? We receive him. If you remember the soft tub story at the beginning, the reality is that was a terrible gift because Nikki didn't want that gift. And for so many of you in this room, I wonder, do you really want God and Jesus? And yet, if you understand who you are, it's the only way. If you understand our sin before a holy, perfect God, it is the only way. So I hope that even in seeing this, even as we talk about it, that the gospel gift would become good news. That you would see Jesus for who he is, really is. That even everything Lucas said would become true and even greater for you because you understand who you are and there's no other way. It's only because of Jesus. 
And if we just look uh, in this same passage in Luke 20, in Luke 18, verse 22, when he's responding to the rich ruler, he says, you will have treasure in heaven. Follow me. Like, this is crazy to think about. Like, Jesus says, follow me. You will have treasure in heaven. And this, this isn't like a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But Jesus is saying, like, what I'm offering is unbelievable. Like, it doesn't come close to anything you have on this earth. What I'm offering you is unbelievable. If I told Mitch right now, if I said, hey, Mitch, give me 100 bucks. Tomorrow I'll give you $200. You'd be like, yo, Reed, what's the catch? Like, that doesn't make sense. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Except it's even better. It's way better than doubling your money. He's saying you will have treasure in heaven. Then remember even Peter. Peter's like, look, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. He says, oh, Peter... You don't get it, Peter. Like, you will have way more in this life and the life to come, eternal life. Like, don't you get it? You're not giving up anything in comparison to who I am. In comparison to what you get, this doesn't cost you anything. And this is exactly what Jesus is holding out to us. This thing doesn't cost you anything, and it's unbelievable good news. Is there a cost to Jesus in the gospel? Yes. Absolutely, and that's another talk for another day. And yet, that cost compared to who God and Jesus is doesn't even come close. Does not come close to what we get in Jesus in Him. And that's the good news of the gospel. And so, this is what makes Jesus unbelievably good, is us fully understanding who we are apart from Jesus. Understand that we can't do it on our own. John 1 says it this way, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, that's unbelievable to think about. Like, he came to rescue a people that wanted nothing to do with him. He came into a world that he created, and his creatures didn't even want to see him. And yet, that's exactly why he came. He came and died that we would receive him. That's all we do. We take. We receive. We bask in this good news. We sit in it. We take it. And that's what makes the gospel unbelievable. So let me pray, and then I'm going to give you guys some questions to think about together, and we'll get some music, and then we'll move to worship. God, I'm thankful that this is true. This isn't just a fairy tale story with a good ending, but this is true. That there is a God in the world who loves us so much that He sent us Jesus. And yet there is no other way. In and of ourselves, we couldn't do it. In and of ourselves, we couldn't measure up. We can't pull our own parachute and expect to be saved. There is no other way. Relationships won't satisfy. Alcohol will not satisfy. Drugs will not do it. Yet you say, I've come to give life and life abundantly. It's only found in you. And so God, I pray that as we fully understand who we are and that we can't do it, we'd be met by the sweetness of the gospel, that Jesus did it. And that's what makes the gospel good news. That's what makes this an incredible gift. It's because we can't do it and Christ did everything. So God, I pray that we'd believe that, that we'd trust that, we, that we would see more of you this summer and that that miracle would happen now. That what is impossible with man would be possible with God tonight. So God, I pray that you would work. Even now we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.